Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. And so God is warning them in advance what's coming, what's coming. And we're going to look tonight uh, just to see how merciful God is because we're going to see the first 15 verses of chapter 20, and it's going to speak of cities in normal battles, just in normal battles that the children of Israel were going to encounter, and they were going to be cities and nations far away, not the ones local there to Canaan, but others. And there, was diff- there were different rules of engagement that God was going to tell them concerning those cities. Today on Truth in Christ, God instructs the nation of Israel in the principles of warfare. Thanks for joining us today on Truth in Christ Radio. Pastor Rob begins our study in Deuteronomy chapter 20 by analyzing God's principles of warfare. In this chapter, God gives specific instructions to his people on how they will defeat the idolatrous nations once they enter the land of their inheritance. As Christians, we know that our God is omniscient and knows the end from the beginning, so it makes perfect sense to listen to him when he directs. Here's Pastor Rob with our lesson for today. Let's open our Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 20. Last week we looked at the 19th chapter. We looked at the cities of refuge and property boundaries, and the laws concerning witnesses. And tonight we're going to be talking about principles governing warfare. And, you know, one of the things I love about the Lord is that before he brings his people into the promised land, he tells them everything in advance, and that's what a good shepherd does. He tells you things in advance so you know what to expect. There's nothing that's going to blindside you. See, and Jesus knows everything. God knows everything. The end from the beginning. He knows how people are. He knows who his people are that he brought out of Egypt. He knows their rebellion. He knows what's in them. And he knows what they need. And he knows the warnings that he needs to share with them because they were going to be going into an environment full of pagan idolatry. Remember, for those 430 years that they were in Egypt, God was giving this land of Canaan, which was filled with different nations, you know, uh, we, we know some of them, you know, they're, uh, you know the, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Hivites, and Girgashites, and the Jebusites, all these different um, people groups. And God gave them time to repent, to turn away from their sin, because they were involved in some pretty wicked things. Child sacrifice, sexual misconduct, I mean, on a grand scale. I mean, this was a wicked, wicked culture that they were about to come in, into. And so during those 430 years, God was giving this people, this specific group of people in Canaan, 
a chance to turn. And he did that with Nineveh, you remember? God gave Nineveh time to repent, and they did. For a season, from the king all the way down, as a result of Jonah going into that town and sharing the truth in love with them, telling them that judgment is coming because of their sin, everybody repented. And for 150 years or more, the city of Nineveh was a Christian nation, was a Christian city. And then little by little, they got back into their idolatry, and and they were destroyed. And so God is warning them in advance what's coming, what's coming. And we're going to look tonight uh, just to see how merciful God is, because we're going to see the first 15 verses of chapter 20, and it's going to speak of cities in normal battles, just in normal battles that the children of Israel were going to encounter And they were going to be cities and nations far away, not the ones local there to Canaan, but others. And there there were different rules of engagement that God was going to tell them concerning those cities. But then, from verses 16 onward, he specifically talks about those six or seven nations that God had pronounced judgment against. In fact, he was going to bring the children of Israel to dispossess them meaning to kick them out of their land, to drive them out, to destroy them. And why was he going to do that? Because of their gross idolatry. And whenever God gives time to repent and time to turn, there is also, if it's followed up, if it's not repented of, judgment does follow. Because an all-loving God has to be all um, severe against sin. Because if, if God didn't punish, he wouldn't love. And we know this as parents. We have to chasing our children. We have to do those things from time to time for their own good. I needed to be spanked when I was young um, because uh, a lot, said Scott, and he's right. And uh, I needed that. I needed to be guided because I was a foolish young person, (laughs) so I needed that. And God knows. So let's look at this. Let's look at verse 1. Again, These are principles governing warfare, or I like to call them rules of engagement. And I love the fact that God loves people. And as we go through this list, as we go through these verses, I want you to be thinking about how gracious God is. Because he's got one plan for one group of people, even though they might come at war with Israel, and then he's got a whole other set of rules for people who have been engrossed in their idolatry, whom God is going to bring judgment upon, a whole different set. Of, of parameters, and we're going to see that. And what that tells me is that God is fair, that he's just. He's thought about everything. He doesn't need to make up anything. In fact, the children of Israel, when they came into the land, because of all the laws and the statutes and the government that God really set up, the, the rules and the, the commandments and all these things, it was like a government. God was telling them what to do, and all they had to do is Obey them. They didn't have to come up with this stuff themselves. And aren't you glad that you don't have to, even our government, where do they get all their rules from? Let me tell you, the boilerplate is right here in the scripture. That's where we get our laws. They all came from here. And they make sense. And yet now man says, we know what's best. They've stolen what God has, uh, (laughs) they've taken God's word and they've claimed it for themselves and now they are on the throne instead of God. It's an unfortunate thing, but let's read this. Verse 1, it says, When you go out to battle against your enemies and you see horses and chariots and people more numerous than you, do not be afraid of them, for the Lord your God is with you. He is Emmanuel, is he not? And he was with his 
people as well, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And so it shall be when you are on the verge of battle that the priest shall approach and he'll speak to the people, and he shall say to them, Hear, O Israel, today you are on the verge of battle with your enemies. Do not let your heart faint. Do not be afraid. And do not tremble or be terrified because of them. For the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies, to save you. Notice, that's, that's the, the goal, the intent of all of this. When he brings them into battle, he's going to go with them. He's going to go before them to fight for them against their enemies. And the whole intent is to save them, to give them safe, a safe place to raise their kids, a safe place to have to raise their livestock and just live normal lives, hopefully obedient lives. But notice when he said to them, don't let your heart be faint or don't let it be afraid and do not tremble or be terrified because of them. Now, God doesn't waste words. He's saying that because he knows that we as people are afraid and his people were afraid. They were going up against armies, people with chariots and horses. And I mean, it it was something that they, they, they didn't have that kind of armament. And if you think about it, God going before them really put this whole thing in an unfair position. Because God going before the people was everything. The enemies didn't have a chance. They could have had nuclear bombs. They could have had nuclear bombs all rigged up to little switches that they would hide behind large mountains. (laughs) And they would press those buttons, every one of them, and and it just made mushroom cloud out of the whole eastern uh, side of the hemisphere. They could have done that, but against God, all those things are nothing. He could have just said, oh, those things, those little things, they don't exist anymore. Poof. Or they don't work. Oh, your fuse got wet. Sorry about that. Turn with me to Joshua chapter 1. The whole idea of fear is something that's very common throughout the Bible, but let's look at Joshua chapter 1. And we're just going to look at the first 18 verses of this. You remember that after, after the death of Moses, Joshua took his place and led the people in. And notice what God says to Joshua and to the people of Israel. It says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise and go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. In every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and to the great sea toward the going down of the sun, shall be your territory." And no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you, and I will not leave you nor forsake you. Does that sound like Jesus? It does. Didn't he say that to the disciples before he ascended into heaven? And lo, I go before, you know, I I, I, I ascend into heaven, and lo, I am with you always. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. But notice what he says in verse 6. And this is so true of us. You know, God was saying to them, because they were, again, Joshua was going to lead them in, and he was going to help them divide this land of Canaan, divide it up by tribe. And they still had to go in and conquer their enemies. And they were fearful, and for good reason. Any one of us in the natural would be fearful of what they would have to go through. I would be fearful. 
They didn't have the armaments of some of these nations that they were going in. And a lot of these cities were fortified. But notice what he says in verse 6. Be strong and of good courage. For to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to your fathers to give them. Only be strong, here he says it again, and very courageous, that you may observe to do all the law which Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. And this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Notice, if you do these things, this is what's going to happen. It's called a conditional promise. If you grab a dog by the ears at dinner time, when, he's, when he wants to eat, and you grab him by the ears, you're going to get bit, right? If you do this, this is what's going to happen. Never grab a dog by the ears and look at him when he's hungry, because you're going to get bit, right? That's a conditional promise. If you do this, that happens, right? So, or if you take ice cream out of my hand, there's going to be a problem, okay? Especially the Pittsburgh dairy, the thing that's like that. So anyway, we'll go on. So, have not I commanded you, verse 9, be strong and of a good courage. Don't be afraid. Notice, don't be afraid, nor be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And notice, then Joshua commanded the officers of the people, saying, Pass through the camp and command the people, saying, Prepare provisions for yourselves, for within three days you will cross over this Jordan to go in and to possess the land which the Lord God is giving you to possess. And to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua spoke, saying, Remember the word which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is giving you rest and is giving you this land. Your wives, your little ones... Your livestock shall remain in the land which Moses gave you on this side of the Jordan, but you shall pass before your brethren armed, all your mighty men of valor, and help them until the Lord has given your brethren rest as he gave you, and they also have taken possession of the land which the Lord your God is giving them. And then you shall return to the land of your possession and enjoy it, which Moses, the Lord's servant, gave you on this side of the Jordan toward the sunrise. And so they answered Joshua, saying, All that you command us, we will do, and wherever you send us, we will go. Notice, they answered Joshua this. All that you command us, we will do, and wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we heeded Moses in all things, so we will heed you. Only the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your command and does not heed your words in all that you command him shall be put to death. Notice, only be strong and of a good courage. So God encourages Joshua and the people. And now the people are reciprocating that and telling Joshua, now you be strong and be of good courage too. Because they could see, and I'm sure it was not an easy thing to do. This is sort of like the, 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 the apex, really, of, of everything that they've been doing out in the desert, right? Those 40 years. Is preparing them for this moment that they're about to do. Can you imagine how nerve-wracking that might be? Can you imagine how fearful that might be? It was not an easy thing, but God knows when we are fearful. Back in Deuteronomy, in verse 5, it says, Then the officers, they shall speak to the people, saying, What man is there who has built a new house and has not dedicated it? Let him go and return to his house, lest he die in the battle and another man dedicate it. Also, what man is there who has planted a vineyard and has not eaten of it? Let him go and return to his house, lest he die in the battle and another man eat of it. 
And what man is there who is betrothed to a woman and has not married her? Let him go and return to his house, lest he die in battle and another man marry her. The officers shall speak further to the people and say, What man is there who is fearful, notice, and tender or and faint-hearted? Let him go and return to his house, lest the heart of his brethren faint like his heart. You know, fear is contagious, isn't it? Have you ever been around a group of people and all it takes is one, if, especially if there's one brave man in a group of men and that man is scared to death, all of a sudden all the other man's knees start quaking. But there's something about having even one person saying, you know what, this is no big deal. God told us he's going to do it, so in his mind it's already done. We need to go out and just act upon it and, and let's do it. Let's be bold and, and do it. And that breeds confidence in others, doesn't it? But notice God, even in his graciousness, he's saying, you know, out of all this army, this army of Israel, when you're going against somebody, if you're fearful, if you're uh, fear-hearted, if you're faint-hearted, if you've got a wife at home that you're betrothed to, if you've got a land that you've never eaten from, then by all means, take a rest from this one. Go home. But fear begets fear, and courage begets courage, doesn't it? In Proverbs it says, The fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. And I think that fear of man brings a snare. I think that can go two ways. I think both are biblical. We certainly know that the fear of man, fearing a man is a snare, but also the fear of man. When a man is in fear, that is a snare. The fear of man is a snare. It can go either way, but either way, It is a bad thing. But whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. David said, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me, and your rod and your staff, they comfort me. That rod that you're going to use, a a, a shepherd would use to beat off the wolves and beat off the bears and hit the snakes with. And also that staff, as that lamb or that sheep would get too close to a precipice over a, over a, a cliff, that 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 shepherd would just, instead of going up there and risking his own life, he could take that, that, that crook of that thing and just reach in and grab it right around the, the neck here and just gently pull that lamb back, keeping it from falling over the side and perishing. But David knew a thing about fear. In Psalm 27, it says this, David said, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? There's the question. The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? If God is on your side, who do you have to fear? Is there really anything greater than God? We know the answer is no, but yet in daily practice, we find ourselves shrinking back from things that we ought not to be fearful of. And that really challenges me. Does it challenge you? There are certain things that I just I find myself quaking in my boots, and then I have to stop myself and think, wait a minute, okay, let's, let's got to think logically. God, you know this is happening to me. You know why it's happening. You may even have allowed it or you're either allowing it or purposely putting me in this situation for my own good. So, Lord, I submit to it, whatever it is. I don't like it. It doesn't feel good in my flesh, but, Lord, I submit to it. And you know what? The battle's over at that point. The battle's won, in a sense. And then you can just walk and let him do what he's going to do. Because the truth of the matter is, is that our lives are not finished until we take our last breath. The thing is, is we don't always know when that is. Therein lies the rub. However, you can have a great boldness and a great confidence in the Lord. And you know what? He will stand up for you if you stand up for him.
He will stand up for you when you step in the face of fear and you're bold and you're loving. You're not cocky. You're not arrogant or conceited. There's nothing worse than an arrogant Christian. But somebody who is, you can be fearful and yet you can be bold. Your knees can be knocking, but the words and the, and the, and the things coming out of your mouth can be power and life to those around you. You know, I've heard of stories of, um, I wouldn't recommend this, but, you know, just as an, an analogy, I've heard of people being attacked by, you know, like a bear out in the forest. You know, they're out in somewhere in Yosemite National Park, and the hiker is hiking, and a bear is coming at him, and the guy will just, he's got, I got nothing to lose, so he'll just start screaming at the bear. He'll just start screaming at the bear and just stand there and just hold his ground and just start screaming, and the bear runs because he can't stand the noise. And if you think about that, what is, what is the devil? He's like that roaring lion who comes, and God says, just stand your ground. Just stand your ground. And, and I love that. I, I hope I don't have to try that out for real. Maybe we will, Scotty. Maybe up at Moffat State Park this year, we'll, we'll find out if Rob practices what he preaches. <laughs> Let's hope not. Pray for that event, that it doesn't happen. I'd much rather put a, put a saddle on that beast and put some bit in its mouth and ride it, you know. Anyway, or maybe not. In 2 Timothy, though, Paul says to Timothy, he says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of a love and of a sound mind. That's what God gives to us. So we don't need to fear anything. Challenge yourself about fear this week. I think that's one good thing to, to consider as we read this, as they are about to go into the land and they're fearful. And God gives them a, a, a choice, even in, in, in light of that. You can go home. If you're fearful and you're just like losing your mind and you've got a wife you haven't you know, married yet and you've got you know, lands, just, just go home. There's the freedom. Turn with me to Judges chapter 7. Judges chapter 7. We're going to see this very same thing. Remember, this event that we're going to read about now is several, a couple hundred years after the event that we just read in, in Joshua. Judges chapter 7. It's a one we know very well. And it's Jerubbabel or Gideon. We know about Gideon. It says, Then Jerubbabel, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him, rose early and encamped beside the wall of Herod. And when we go to Israel, we actually go to this well called Herod. It's H-A-R-O-D. And, and there's a well there in the uh, Jordan Valley. And we visit it every year. Uh, or when we go, we visit it. And remember, this is during a time when the children of Israel, because they didn't obey the Lord... Now they were in a situation where because of their disobedience and not taking all of the land, when they, when they, in Joshua, when they, when they went into the land, they, they conquered some of it, but they, they allowed some of the inhabitants to kind of dwell with them. They didn't finish the job. And instead of just killing them, which is what God told them to do, right? He told them to wipe out everything and everybody. Instead of doing that, they decided something better. They had a better thought. Well, why don't we just do some of them, you know, and then put the rest of them, make them work for us. They'll be like our slaves. You know, they'll do our work for us. And so that's what they did. But the problem with that is as they began to allow that kind of thing, we know what happens next. Pretty soon there's intermingling between the two of them. 
Unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of Deuteronomy. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. And that number again is 585-586-3140. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, ministry and contact information, our location and service times, and much more. You can even download the radio and sanctuary messages in MP3 format free of charge from the resources link. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester Sanctuary Messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play or Apple Podcast. We are so glad that you could join us today, and if there is any way that we could bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.